0: You're listening to the 10 Podcast, the discovery and design channel in health. Tune in with your host, Matt Patterson, to learn more about insights from the world of healthcare today.
1: Hi there, you may well have been here for the earlier session and this may just be a continuity of what you're listening to in the last podcast. If so, welcome back. If you're here for the first time, you're probably going to be listening into a conversation that's started in the last podcast, so you may want to go back and listen to that one. If you want to stick around straight away now and listen to this one, that's cool because we're going to talk about the National Delivery of Health and Sustainable Healthcare. Uh, and you can go back and listen to the other podcast a little bit later on. I'd like to say that for the first 10 minutes or so, there's, there's actually a, a review of who the people on the call are, which you will have heard if you've listened to the previous podcast. So you can fast forward now if you've heard the introduction of all these individuals before. But if you've not, and it's your first time onto this podcast of the two, I'm glad I'm making this super simple for you, have a listen to who's on the call. So I think it'd be really great if we can go around the group and just do a quick, brief introduction about ourselves and our backgrounds, our kind of heritage and where we're coming from and the kind of things we're used to working on. Anya, could you start off by telling us who you are, please, a little bit about your background and...
2: Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Anya Klufer. I'm the founder of Prospect, an experience design consultancy, usually based in London, right now from home. Um, And... um, so my background is uh, is is being a graphic designer, trained graphic designer. Then went into UX very very early on. So I've been working within the digital space for probably about twenty years.
1: And just what kind of sectors do you normally work in?
2: Oh yes, so um, we work across many many different sectors. So from a lot a lot of technology, helping technology companies become customer and employee centric. Uh, travel transportation, obviously not very much right now retail also not very much right now um um and uh, finance sector insurance sector a bit of public sector a bit of health so it's 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 a good medley of sectors to keep life interesting
1: brilliant thanks any and charlie do you want to go next yes
3: um i guess i guess martin and i speak for each other a bit but uh, coast our small company is a film communications company Um, we specialize in 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 developing and producing wanted content so stuff that people want film content that's actually talking to rather than selling to by its nature Um, that can be uh, a 60-minute mental health BBC Horizon documentary which we co-produced last year or it can be a tobacco free me series for a global insurance uh, brand like axa so we are a team of writers and producers effectively and we harness up with all other talents as we go
4: we have worked a lot in healthcare pro- projects and a lot of those are about uh, you know useful guides to living well being pieces through animation or you know best practices or so, I suppose we are in the kind of more of the behavioral change. We'd be looking at, at how we change people's behavior. So, you know, I think that's, that's all I'd add to that, really. Thanks, Martin. Mark.
5: I am Mark Hester, co founder of the Imagination Factory. We're a product design and creative engineering agency, a passionate believer in human centered design. And so, we apply that methodology and approach to all the projects we work on and also uh, a great believer in doing stuff that matters. So um, trying to work on projects and do internal projects that we believe have a positive impact on society and people around us. Um, yeah, very excited to be here. Typically,
1: what kind of stuff have you been doing? So can you give us a couple of examples of things that make people fly and things that make people
5: safe on the <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we have been involved uh, with this uh, company called Gravity Industries and Richard Browning, who you may have seen on YouTube, who uh, built his own jet engine suit, jet suit. Uh, We helped to develop a heads up display for him so that he could see how much fuel he had left. So that stuff definitely matters to him. Um, And then also at the other end, we've been working with the railway industry, developing um, technology that can help solve the problem of leaves on the line which hopefully when that comes to fruition will will be a great thing for all commuters <laughs> thanks a so brilliant Nico uh,
6: yeah I'm I'm uh, educator and facilitator and writer at various times um, and my background's working well, originally working in uh, ICT between technology and creatives and then working in the early days of the the creative and the kind of innovation side of the web um, and my focus now is innovation and entrepreneurship and creative industries. So I teach at London South Bank University and I teach on a study abroad program uh, in the UK although we have no students abroad obviously um, and I've written books about design. I wrote the big, co-wrote the Big Potatoes Innovation Manifesto which some of you might be familiar with Um, And more recently, I've been doing work as well on the area of social technologies, which I've talked with Matt about for a client in the um, domiciliary healthcare sector and looking at um, how we can use technologies in a humane way to facilitate every aspect of social care, which for better or worse will be um, even more on the agenda after, well, after, you know, uh, now um so uh, that's i guess will be a particular focus of mine in in this discussion thank you nico brilliant patrick
7: yeah hi i'm uh, patrick olshowski i'm the managing director of outrageous impact uh we are a small network of qualitative researchers who work on projects that sort of positively change the world uh so what does that actually look like when it involves working with Uh, quite a few uh, digital and creative agencies, as well as charities, you know, uh, everyone from sort of big investment and healthcare companies right the way down to uh, the nursery at the foot of the Grenfell Tower. Um, I'm also, you know, very, uh, you know, passionate and experienced in crisis response as well, Um, So have been involved in uh, responding uh, to the jungle uh, refugee camp situation in northern France, um, have been involved with Extinction Rebellion and um, recently set up and founded Crisis Connections, which brings now a network of 100 professionals from around the world to provide free one hour advice sessions to charities all over the world. And we've done the first 40 hours of support in the first four weeks.
1: Patrick and Kate?
0: Um, Outside the pandemic, um, I am in my third decade of startups and I have a particular, I gravitate towards businesses where there's some form of um, critical mass around knowledge or around complexity. Um, So occasionally consumer goods companies might be clients, but it's more likely to be Architecture, engineering, health, medical, chemical, industrial, bit of fintech. Once upon a time, a lot of business information. Um, I come into this world um, having studied both semiotics and culture, and I'm quite obsessed with meaning. What does what does something mean, and how does my meaning differ from everyone else's? Um, so I have a number of pandemic <laughs> identities as one of the co-founders of NHS Hero Support, which has delivered a full circle emergency PPE service. We figured out quickly how to capture needs, safely purchase in China, high quality goods, how to dispatch them using everything from motorbikes to private jets, all donated labor, and how to talk to the outside world so that um, individuals have supported us through crowdfunding. We're into six figures on that front. Um, But our work has traveled up as high as Department of Health and Ministry of Defense. In that context, I was quickly made um, lead on partnerships and innovation and have been part of something called the Shield Collaborative, which is an umbrella organization that has put me directly working elbow to elbow with medics, engineers, entrepreneurs. And we are now launching a project that we lovingly call Cove Sleeves. What we're seeking to do is solve the headache of gowns and getting a reusable gown that is fit for purpose, given this pathogen is quite a tricky textile science and garment engineering problem. Not only a garment that someone caring could wear, but a garment that someone visiting a loved one who is dying in care might wear, might get us there. So watch this space. Thank you, Kate.
2: Susie, hi. Well, that's a lot of experience there. (laughs) Um, So I'm Susie Cutis, and I'm the marketing manager at Ten. Um, I also run my own marketing consultancy. Um, Previous to working with Matt, um, I worked for product and service design innovation consultancy, PDD. And I worked there as a marketing executive for eight years. So I've worked within the design for for quite a while. and I'm really looking forward to hearing everyone's opinions and conversations
1: today. Let me remind you where we pick up before Mark Hester talking about the National Ill Health Service as opposed to the National Health Service, the place we only go when it's too late, when you're ill or when you're injured.
5: We have something called a National Health Service, which you know was set up with all the right intentions, and in a moment like we're in now, we recognise how important it is more than more than ever before. But the reality is, it's not a national health service. It's really a national ill health service because we engage with it at the point when we're sick. We engage with it at the point when we're injured. Uh, And maybe the, the sustainability angle on health is actually to have a wholesale shift of all of the strategies behind the National Health Service to make it genuinely about national health. I know Matt, you've been doing lots of things recently around uh the 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 nutrition and the high rates of sugar in food and uh all that kind of stuff and we know that so much money is spent through the national health service on treating things that could be prevented in the first place but we also know that more often than not there's a there's a huge weighting towards people who are uh, less well off in terms of the accessibility they have not only to food that is good and healthy but also um the understanding and as you as you've been talking about other people have been talking about the human behaviors so i think what i'd like to see in terms of sustainability is, is that is a genuine re-look at from across the whole level a wholesale <laughs> sort of uh, shaking up of of how do we re-envisage this thing as a genuine national health service for the whole country
1: oh uh, that's exactly how i've seen and talked about it for a- Probably over a decade now, it's um, medicine is taught uh, in Latin about diseases and managing diseases and treating diseases. And then public health spending, from what I've learned over recent years, has gone down and down and down and down. And the investments that go in, I think there was a Nesta study that said something around biotech investments and pharmaceutical investments were like 96% of funding, and public health initiatives were 4% of funding. So we've gone very much to the silver bullet over a number of years, and that's the cool, sexy stuff. And the technology that backs that is the cool, sexy stuff as well, the wearables, the digital solutions, et cetera, et cetera. But there are a growing number of companies that are trying to do preventative health technology well-being based technologies and I think that it's important that they get more airtime and more support but also how we sort of change the way if we want to make a difference in the healthcare system you have to change the way the doctors and healthcare professionals are trained maybe we need to look at the kind of balance of what is the makeup of the healthcare professional suite to enable us as a society to 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 become healthier that is about self-esteem it's about it's about access it's about environments it's about work environments it's all these things
5: yeah i just want to come back on that uh something that i've been thinking about recently uh which is sleep and having listened to a, a fantastic book about why we sleep and the fact that 10 years ago the world health organization declared the lack of sleep worldwide as a pandemic uh and yet there is no evidence to suggest that societies uh, or people in general have done anything about this. There's certainly not been the effort gone into it that we've had in the fight against uh, coronavirus. Uh, and And I think this, this has real implications on the training of health staff as well. Does anyone know why health workers work twelve hour shifts? You have the answer,
1: Mark. I'm hoping this is a quiz I, where we're gonna get the answer think, at the end. I'm, I, very, I'm, I'm very dissatisfied. With
5: well I know I know where the idea of um what, what's the word when they're doing their their training um the residents? I know where the twelve hour shift for residents comes from. And it comes from a guy who who wrote the original training. Uh, manuals training books um, long long time ago and he he was a absolute advocate of putting in all the hours and 12-hour shifts and then he was just energetic 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 and that's what he believed people should do. Uh, It was discovered after all of his training methods were adopted and had been uh, you know put across the whole health service, it was discovered that he was a cocaine addict. And therefore a 12 hour shift for him was absolutely fantastic and perfectly doable. I've been, I don't know how far through the rest of the health service that goes in terms of why things are set up the way they are, but it has made me wonder recently, why do nurses and doctors do 12 hour shifts? If you went to a, 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 a garage and you asked someone to fix your car and you said to them, how long have you been working? I've been working 12 hours. You'd go to the next garage. There's no way you'd let them near your car because they're going to not do a good job. Anyway, I'll just throw that one out there.
1: So job design, uh, Kate.
0: What healthcare is falls out of a definition of what health might be, I believe. So if we want to make immediate impact on health and we appreciate, as I think there is general agreement in this room, that economic poverty is a determinant of ill health, then we would be saying first and foremost, something about access to employment and something about a realistic living wage. I also think it would be really good if we did a genealogy of the institutions around health. I really appreciate what Mark said about it being a national a national disease service rather than a national health service. We've talked earlier in the conversation about the imperative from, from our standpoint of linking health service care and social care. Crucially, I don't think we've talked about mental health and the profound connection between mental health and physical health. But the minute that we are talking about behavior change, we're talking about people's agency. We're talking about people's ability to take in information about choices that they face around diet, exercise, um, maintenance plans, disease treatment plans, and so forth. And if we're talking about behavior change, we have to talk about agency. If we're talking about human agency, we have to talk about mental health. So the work of Mariana Mazakuto, I think, is really important in understanding that so much of the lens that we bring to decisions about whether it's civil society's res- Uh, responsibility and the private sector's responsibility, or is it the state's responsibility at a highly centralized level, a devolved level, or a local level, there is no, there is no pure private sector without the state formations and vice versa.
7: Whereas actually the the, the bigger sort of issues are really about you know a, an unprecedented transfer of wealth from the state out to the private sector through through the sort of covid bailouts you know we're talking about uh, a pandemic that may actually be the opening salvo at least on these shores of uh, a broader climate emergency we're talking about the sustaining of industries that potentially um, you know don't uh, are not compatible with restricting um, sort of uh, you know catastrophic warming of the planet you know according to to, to, you know overwhelming scientific consensus Um, and I do think that actually if we don't think about Covid, in terms of the case for a great a green bailout, potentially what we're doing is we're locking in those sort of systemic, um, you know, underpinnings because you know you look at the uh, at the pretty emerging uh, clear data that seems to link uh, air quality to uh, you know corona infections. You know you look at you know chemtrails, you look at you know all of these things from from uh, airline pollution you know all of these things are are contributing to wider ill health and I think again a bit like our commitment to human-centered design and you know actually the, the health economic arguments are really really crystal clear what's been lacking has been the political willingness to do it what's been lacking has been a, a political system that hasn't been captured by big interests that have wanted to maintain the status quo and i think that's what we need to really tackle if we're going to actually come out of this terrible loss of life with anything other than just a, a re-embedding and a re-establishment of the status quo,
1: Nico.
6: Um, yeah, well, uh, just to pick up on Kate's uh, argument about the entrepreneurial state, take a you know, well, lots of areas of not just healthcare but science and so on. The state, and this is the you know, federal state of the EU as well as the UK state, are you know, is very risk averse with respect to innovation and has limited the potential for innovation that in fact the private sector would drive otherwise so i don't think it's a one way street that you know the state is the you know the risk taker as natzacato puts it and you know private industry is just benefiting from that i think the state also has a role in precaution and risk aversion which limits the potential of benefits to ordinary people ultimately and I think that's, you know, as I indicated, you know, we, we our narratives around precaution and risk and so on are very limited. We only see risks that are palpable and we ignore risks, um, you know, that we've alluded to today about, you know, the impact of, you know, preferencing, you know, rightly or not COVID uh, victims in this crisis over everyone else about the impacts of the economic shutdown on people's you know, health, self esteem, mental health, etc. And obviously the you know, the externalities of the uh, impact of non co on non COVID patients in the healthcare system. But
7: but surely, Nico, you'd agree as well though, that, you know, the private sector can't just innovate without those sort of preconditions being set by the state, like the rule of law or, mm-hmm. you know, good governance or all of these sorts of things. So it's it, it actually cuts both ways, surely.
6: Yeah, and I'm not saying that we should have a free-for-all and no regulation and so on. Um, I'm just saying that we're very uncritical of the regulation we have, and that regulation has huge impacts uh, on both people in the developed world and also in the developing world. You know, Our regulation and policy decisions and so on have impacts on people in, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa and elsewhere, um and you know we should recognize that and we should accept that there is no such thing as a risk-free option or you know no way of eliminating risk you just if you move risk from one place you increase it in another place not necessarily to the same degree but you should you should recognize that and you know precaution has an impact and so you know gmos which i know is a hugely contentious subject not in the united states so much but in the eu you know there are Fear, for want of a better term, of the impact of GMOs has hugely impacted agriculture in the developing world and and in the developed world. And, you know, people will not recognise that. You know, they, you know, you know, know, it's it's a discourse that we, you know, we need to be more mature about how we have that. But, you know, I do agree. I'm not saying we shouldn't regulate, you know, pharmaceutical research and, you know, trials and all the rest of it.
1: Thank you, Nico.
6: I think it's interesting that the way that you
4: know for for many years we've been pushed this idea of personal responsibility and a lot of kind of the big brands big companies are interested in giving us choice and now you know I think the pandemic's thrown into this thrown back into the spotlight the idea of the common good which if you know is is kind of an old-fashioned concept in a way well maybe not for people of my age but the idea that we kind of embrace the common good, that and governments can pl- be big government again and say, "Go inside, don't come out," and we'll happily do that if we buy into the idea it's for the common good. That we're not all thinking, "What do I need to do for my own kind of lifestyle choice?" So I think there's some optimism that you know there might be some <laughs> a third way or a better way of living if we can all adjust ourselves to thinking about the common good and not this kind of you know, gold rush for choice all the time.
1: Kate, do you want to come back on that and um, follow by Nico?
0: A build on the common good or an example of the, of the common good, I think, is the masks for all work that, Matt, you've played such a hand in here in this country. Because the principle of masks for all is that if I'm outdoors, I'm wearing a mask to protect you from me.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think there's something very profound and it's the kind, it has the kind of simplicity that is on the far side of complex, this really beautiful simplicity that I take an action that is inconvenient to me because it protects you. And I think the masks for all thing is the first one I've seen that is not bound by social position, gender, or age. Anybody could adopt it and say, I'm willing to wear my mask to protect you.
1: We've got about sort of 15 more minutes and I'd like everyone to have a go if we can and going around the group and saying, well, maybe go around and say, well, what do we think we've each gained from this in relation to a piece that, what stands out as things you would take forward um, in relation to that? Perhaps starting with Charlie. I don't want to start with Charlie, but I'm George. Charlie. Uh,
3: in reaction to the last chunk of conversation, um, the idea of common good, and Kate's description of that—you use the word beautiful twice—in relation to that example of, of wearing a mask, not for me, but for you—that's a very profound thought. And I guess we'd all—all all nine of us—have come across that thought. But you know, I wouldn't bump into too many people on the street who come across that thought. And I—I I think that the things that prefer, the things that hit us most powerfully as we go about our daily lives are. You know, within the framework of taking the health force, the NHS, forward in a sustainable way, the things that hit us most profoundly are the things that those concepts that break paradigms, like that one. And as a communicator, I I, I would like to see us. This relates to the chat we've had about behavioral change and the points about seeing us as agents of change, our abilities as agents, Uh, you know, how do we, how do we, that on the face of it, that's a very simple thing to communicate, that fine example of common good, that paradigm breaking thought of, I'm not wearing this for me, I'm wearing it for you. And that really interests me, how we can turn heads around some simple change, simple mechanisms of change in that sense, around those paradigm breaking pieces.
7: Thank you, Charlie. Patrick, can we come to you? Thank you very much. I would want to um, think about how are we going to cope with the next systemic shock? How are we going to cope with the next pandemic, with the next uh, SARS, with the next avian flu, uh, with the next Ebola? And what can we as a community do to um, be ready for that now? because my fear is that is that politicians won't learn the lessons and will we'll be unwilling to actually grasp those nettles. And so how can we, as a design community, come together to prepare for that next pandemic? And then also, how can we build across mo- other movements to then learn from uh, behavioural economics, economics, learn from um, you know uh, epidemiology, all of these other specialties how can we learn from you know the struggle for 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 racial and gender equality in order to actually be better prepared for the next pandemic
1: thank you patrick susie can we come to you
2: and one thing um that wasn't touched upon was religion so how do you change someone's behavior when their behavior is so much dictated by their religion And that I think will play a big part in solving people's health and wellness and how they live their lives.
1: Thank you, Susie. I totally agree. And yes, we haven't touched on religion and obviously that makes a huge impact in relations, people's decisions, the cultural landscape of everything they do. Um, Martin. Um,
4: Yeah, just on religion, I think you can widen that to community leaders, which would go to kind of my point. I, I think, the big learning for me was that there's just not enough groundwork done so that people are prepared for things when they happen. You know, so why is everything so unexpected to the general public? You know, they've just parachuted the app, the Track and Trace app, a couple of weeks ago into the Isle of um, Wight. And, you know, there was only 40% take-up initially. And also, most people are saying, we don't understand what Track and Trace is. Why have we got an app for something we fundamentally don't understand the concept of? you know anyone with any sense would have put in a, a system of manual tracing that was on the ground and those foot soldiers were there to then build on with an app and a technology that you can spread from the ground up this you can't this idea of parachuting tech in as the as the savior for an unprepared audience or community seems to me to be an an age-old failing you know while the manhattan project worked throughout the war you know find the bomb that would end the war yeah, events overtook them you, you know th- there's no point working on it during you, we need to do the groundwork and be pre- be prepared as the scouts used to say. Anya?
2: I, I, I'd like to pick up on the behavioural change that, uh, that was mentioned by quite a few people now um, I think behavioural change is the hardest thing uh, to achieve it takes, it's so easy to talk about it like sustainability but actually creating behavioural change is is really, really hard. I haven't actually mentioned, maybe we have, uh, but it's the learnings from different countries. So there's so much activity um, and trials and tribulations and errors uh, and prototyping of, of new ideas happening in different countries that it would be great if there was a sort of platform where we could pull all of that data together Um, to, to, to learn from, Uh, I mean, now's the time to learn from, from every single society around the world, whether it's a small sort of, you know, community somewhere in Timbuktu, and the list goes on. So, um yeah behavioral change and how do we facilitate
1: that i think that's really interesting and you're in this in the scientific community seems to have shared particularly well over this period of time from different countries around the world to help them try and solve things in the science world but perhaps the design and innovation world has not shared in the same way because it maybe it does not have those platforms that the world health organization might facilitate or the cdc in america and those things maybe maybe that is a missing component that uploaded into some Uh, platform environment are the opportunities to learn from different countries in x y and z on every challenge from a to z Hmm. and kate
0: listening to everyone sum up i would have answered the question differently at every moment (laughs) Um, what's your answer for
1: now What's, what's, what's now, what's what's this minute's answer
0: this minute's answer is about um how do we learn and how do we cope as curious animals in a time of such great uncertainty. It takes bandwidth to be curious. And in crisis, we probably, most of us, at least biopsychologically, shut things down. So how do we learn to stay curious? How do we practice staying curious so that we are capable of learning even when we are in crisis. Thank you. Kate. That's my big. That's my big money question. Uh, Nico,
6: um, well, to be honest, I've been a bit out of the design discourses, and I, you know, I'm be very interested to know or be guided by anybody as to whether there's a any good overview of what I guess particularly product design and service design, and to an extent, I suppose, communication design people have been doing in in response to COVID, I mean, I've been following the creative industries more generally, but more the kind of cultural industry side of things. So I don't sort of feel, I, mean, I think Matt, your comment about the networks of, you know, designer, creative people being less strong than those of scientists is really interesting. Um, I mean, I would say, to an extent, I think this sort of, you know, you know, that when there's any kind of crisis, everybody becomes a, a sort of self claimed expert on it, or many people do. So everyone's now an epidemiologist and I'm a statistical expert and all the rest of it. Um, And I do think this highlights a challenge that we have in the design world more generally, which is, which we say, maybe this, with all due respect, not knowing what we don't know and uh, not necessarily, I mean, maybe this speaks to Kate's point about curiosity, um, that we, the more worldly we can be, the better and not assume things and you know kind of assume that our point of view is right and so on and you know it becomes you know it, you know it's an interesting time because you know these things really matter you know people actually care what decisions are made and you know for better or worse that's uh you know means the impact of people who can or professions who can uh really make a difference uh, can be very significant so I guess I'd encourage you know as, as as much critical thinking as possible and obviously as much learning as possible yeah it sounds sort of motherhood and apple pie doesn't it there you are
1: Mark I think you're the last one on the list
5: yeah I've got the benefit of being able to yeah, so hear if you could sum the whole
1: thing up please Mark and then make sure we understand um, in the end and wrap it up into the key problems that'd be very useful thank you <laughs>
5: Of course. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I've been trying to do, obviously. Uh, No, it's been a really, really interesting discussion. Really great to meet you all. And um, uh, I think for me that there's been so many threads, uh, but I think the way I would sum it up is it's made me think again about um, the sort of economic system that we have in most parts of the world, which is based on this concept of constant growth, and what that then has an impact on in terms of what we eat, what we breathe, how we work, how we play, and how we rest. So you've got like this constant growth model behind everything that drives all these things. And then we seem to be uh, realizing now that, that we, it makes us vulnerable to certain pandemics and effects of certain things. Um, when the pandemic caused us to be locked down, the air quality improves and air quality scientists for the first time ever have been able to do massive experiments uh, and, and see exactly what the impact of, of what we're breathing has on us. We've realised that there's absolutely no doubt about the metabolic effects on how someone's body responds to the virus and people are realising how work can be completely different. And I think coming back to that mental health um, thing that was mentioned as well, super important. And, you know, what will be the, the outcomes, what will be some of the positives and some of the negatives. So I guess the challenge to the design community is if you look at that as a system, how do we design a better one? Do we start with challenging the constant growth model or do we work um, at the end of, of uh, you know, how, how we sleep better, how we eat better, how we work better, etc.? That's my thought.
1: Thank you, Mark. That was actually amazingly well summed up and better than I could have done. So I'm really glad I left you to the end. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, I think it's been fascinating because I think there's so much we've covered in this short period of time. And and then perhaps off the back of this next conversation is the work and play and how you then deliver work and play because we've, we have just naturally touched into that space.
0: I just want to say thank you because this experience today, it feels to me is what you and i spoke of when you were first dreaming up 10. why so? because what we t- <laughs>
1: Devil's <have kicks>
0: <laughs> what we talked about was um the necessity to short circuit the commissioning process by which design problem solving innovation is procured at that point we spoke of the corporation That the corporation timescales were inappropriate to the challenges the corporations themselves were seeking to meet. And 10 would offer a platform for faster problem framing and problem solving by working in a way that is different to the old agency model. And what I see in the framing of the Great British Design Challenge is the how by which that might work. And I think events have moved on from that conversation to the point where the client for the work could be society, could be central government, could be devolved government or local government. But the idea of this kind of conversation springing out of the design world, rather than being locked into think tanks, which are so often not transparent about where their funding comes from, is for me a healthy sign about civil society so good on 10 and good thank for you, civil Jay. society
1: i will let you uh love you and leave you and let you go back to the sunshine hi everybody thanks, thanks matt goodbye, Bye,
6: everybody. Meet you all. thanks matt
2: lovely to meet you thank, thank you,
6: you. all soon thank you. You. Thank, you. thank you everybody yeah great good good job chairing matt as well yeah, very yeah good.
2: great,
1: great
0: job. job thank you <music>
1: Okay, and so that was the first steps around discussing sustainable healthcare in the Great British Design Challenge. Today we covered a whole range of things from the future of health, uh, from the concept of the National Ill Health Service, through to bigger picture considerations around education, bigger issues around the entrepreneurial state and where risk is taken, and around profound paradigm-breaking shifts in relation to care with things like Mass For All. My mass protects you and your mass protects me. What we're going to do next is move on, as we said at the start of the first episode, onto looking at work and play. So please do join us on the next episodes and listen to a different set of experts talking about those factors, experts in the design of work and the design of retail and the design of entertainment environments. Thank you all for listening on the podcast uh, and uh, following us on your usual podcast channels. Uh, If you'd like to come on the show, as usual, we say contact us at hello at weare10.co.uk. And please do be safe. Continue slow return back to society, looking after yourself, thinking about you guys until then. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to The Ten Podcast. Subscribe on your preferred podcast provider. Also, do let us know what you think of today's episode.